Well, I, I thank uh, Amy for asking me to uh, not go right up to a quarter to 11 every week <laughs> so that you have a chance at least for a couple of questions. And today I think we'll have more time. You know, you've had the background of the other um, four lectures, and um, I'm hoping that maybe in, in that in that regard, I can just kind of summarize a lot of the things that we've done and then uh, allow time again for questions and discussion and things of that sort. Um, I, it, it's kind of fitting that we, um, uh, we end up on Trinity Sunday since we've spent the last uh, four weeks talking about Darwin and then talking about how Darwin relates to the, um, to the Trinity. So I, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of a good way to, uh, to kind of finish I'm looking for one quote here that I want to use at some point, but uh, we'll see if I can find it. Um, I liked, uh, some of you went to the, um, uh, the 830 service, and uh, Larry gave a uh, talk on the Trinity, and I was there saying, yeah, 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 that, that's, that's what I like to say. So, so uh, what I want to do, uh, he, he kind of developed the whole um, talk around what he called high anthropology, and uh, in this kind of context, what I want to do is say high anthropology plus. <laughs> so what we're trying to do is to take basically all of the things that we've kind of talked about in terms of uh, uh, Trinity and theology and then extend it outward into creation itself. So, um, uh, you know, I've, I've talked um, about the Trinity in the last um, uh, three lectures. And so if we take them today and then try to extend it out to see now what does that say in terms of, uh, of creation itself, then I think we begin to develop a spirituality, right? So if you even think about spirituality as related to Holy Spirit, right, it, uh, it tells us that what we're trying to do is to open ourselves to God's work, and the way in which we kind of understand God's work is to understand the Spirit as working within us, and then the Spirit bringing us Christ, and in bringing us Christ, bringing us to the Father, so we're into Trinity, right? So if you think about the Spirit, as I said in the past lectures always, the Spirit is a Spirit of God, huh? and the Spirit of God that is poured into Jesus, so that it becomes Jesus' Spirit as well as God's Spirit, then the Spirit is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus, because there's only one Spirit that's shared by both of them, and that Spirit is poured into us, and that Spirit brings us to Jesus, who brings us to the Father. So spirituality yeah, is ultimately opening ourselves to the work of God within our lives and responding to, to all of that, and that's telling us primarily open ourselves to the Spirit, and when we do that, it brings us Christ into our life, and when we have Christ in our life, we have God, right? So the, the thing that uh, Larry talked about, he even used the magic word that I like all the time, is that the Trinity is telling us how, how. So to put it in my own phrasing, I always like to say when you think about Trinity, the Trinity is not telling you who God is. Nobody knows who God is. <laughs> God is imponderable. Larry even said today in the title of his, his sermon, Imponderable Mystery. Nobody knows what goes on inside God's life, but what we do know is how God is in our life. So the Trinity is not telling us who God is, but how God is. And how is God? God comes to us through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And that's getting you to Trinity, huh? who Jesus is. God coming to us, that's God the Father, through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we look at all the early uh, centuries um, you know, they, Larry 
you know, again said, well, we kind of just skip all that today when we talk about how, but they tried to get inside God's inner life by saying, well, if we see how God is in our life, then that tells us what God's life is like. And they talk about uh, circumincession, and they talk about perichoresis, and you've got all this kind of insight into God's life, internal to God. So we have no idea what's going on there. So these are nice, good extrapolations, basically to how we experience God in our life. So we're not going to worry about perichoresis. We're not going to worry about uh, circumcision. We're not going to worry about the inner life of God so much as how God is reaching us. Now, if we if we try to do that and to develop that kind of spirituality in terms of creation itself, I, I would try to at least pick out a couple of things that I've talked about already in the past weeks, but that I'd like to accentuate because I think they're important. I think... Um, what we need to do is to begin to develop what we could call a conversion to creation. Right? So what we need to do is to recognize that this is really a new paradigm. It's a new way of thinking. In other words, it's not just a tangential element of what's going on so that we have our spirituality, we have our theology, and then what happens is we try to tack on a couple of things about creation, you know, take the garbage out and uh, you know, recycle, you know, or things like that. What we're trying to do is to try to get a mentality that sees us integrated to that whole creation. The quote that I was looking for, which I don't think I'm going to find here, I've got a mess of papers, and um, I I didn't talk about it explicitly, but uh, Johnson refers to it in one place. She she talks about the entangled bank. It's um, it's Darwin's way of describing um, you know how creation works. The entangled bank is just talking uh, about how we're all interwoven, right? You know, that, you know, the dead leaves provide a, uh, uh, a place for uh, perhaps nesting, you know, which gives us birds who eat the insects, you know, who, uh, who ultimately, uh, uh, you know, uh, pollinate the, the fruit. And everything is related to everything so that, in fact, when you just look at one little plot of grass, there are so many things involved in all of that that he calls it the entangled bank, you know, in other words, everything interrelated. Uh, the picture also, I think, is really one of cooperation. You know, so when we're thinking all the time about Darwin and uh, it's always survival of the fittest, you know, and, and all of those things that always make it sound like it's really negative and it's, you know, it's kill or be killed and that kind of thing. I think, you know, death is part of the process and that there is going to be loss and there may be suffering and pain but it's all part of a really positive kind of process that also has to be seen so that the entangled bank does have dead leaves. The entangled bank has insects that get eaten, you know. In other words, there are all kinds of things in there that look to us as negative, but they're not just purely negative. And that in the end, the entangled bank is telling us that everything is interrelated and that there's cooperation and that, in fact, the whole nature of creation is one of a unity uh, and a cooperation. So Darwin already has that kind of insight, and what Darwin tried to make as an important point is that we're also part of that. And so when we start looking at the entangled bank, we should not be looking at ourselves as standing outside that little patch of grass, you know, as if we're not involved with it. In other words, we're part of that entangled bank, and it's all interrelated, and that becomes, I think, a new way of kind of thinking. So when I say, you know, when we're, we're talking about a, a spirituality, 
we're really trying to develop what can really be seen as a new kind of spirituality and that the paradigm is changing. How the, the major, major starting point of all of this is a new thing uh, that we're trying to, uh, to introduce. So it doesn't negate all the other stuff, but it's really giving us a new way of picturing things. Huh? Um, uh, Pope Francis, in his um, encyclical on creation, talks about conversion to creation. Huh? So when you're talking about conversion, I think in many ways you're talking about kind of a new paradigm and a real major shift, huh? a turning away from something and a turning towards something else. And so uh, uh, that's what I'm trying to develop here. Um, and the entangled bank, I think, is a good way of kind of picturing all of this, and then it will start moving out in a lot of different directions. So we think about Darwin, and then we think about Trinity, and we think about how God is in our life through the Father, uh, from the Father, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now all I want to do is just kind of take a couple of those things and then show how they relate to this new paradigm, huh? how they try to convert us towards creation, how they move us towards the entangled bank. So if we start, you know, thinking about God the Father, and I said, you know, images of God, Father, Mother, are all, you know, not talking about God's inner life, and God isn't masculine or feminine, uh, so obviously we're already dealing with a deeper kind of reality, but when we use the term Father, we're trying to, first of all, get a sense of a personal God, right? We're trying to get a sense of a God who is intimate to us, a God who is loving, a God who cares. We could use mother just as well, and in fact, biblical texts do use the image of, of God as mother in, in a number of texts. It comes out of a culture in which primarily you're going to have masculine images. But the images there are always, I think, first of all, again, in terms of relationship, Right? God is relating, and that relationship of God is going to be seen especially in Jesus through the Spirit that is given to us, but it's a relationship also to us. So the image of God as Father is relational, it's intimate, it has a sense of love, it has a sense of care and concern. So it could be Father, Mother, but that image of relationship is what we want. Now what I think is interesting in terms of all of that. We, we would have understood a lot of that in terms of anthropology, right? Human beings and how God is related to us in that regard. When we talk about God as Father, I talked about that in the uh, previous lecture, we talked about our being in the image of God, right? And, uh, and that especially in terms of human beings. So what I want to suggest today when we talk about conversion to creation and we try to take those images and extend them outward Think about all of creation being in the image of God, right? So we're not saying less about us. We have even a high anthropology, right? Human beings are that intimate to God that, in fact, we're in the image and the likeness of God. But what we need to begin to appreciate is that we're not here, and then the rest of creation is not in that kind of reality. God is creator of everything, huh? And when we try to picture God, we also picture God as not just starting things, but God also continuing things and God calling us forward. God is involved in all of that, and God is involved with all of creation in the same way that God is involved with us. So when we start thinking about image of God, we have to see it in, in other ways, I think, than just simply human beings. Now, we have very often understood image of God as just being intellect and will. And if we just think about it as intellect and will, then it's only human, right? But in point of fact, you know, one of the interesting things uh, in the biblical text is that they don't think it was intellect and will 
that was the thing that put us in God's image and likeness. In the creation story, you know, God, God creates the human beings, and then what he does is he says, share in my creative activity. And then he says, so he says, increase and multiply. And then God says, and now have stewardship over the earth. In other words, being in the image and likeness of God is sharing in God's creative process, and being in the image and likeness of God is sharing in the providential process of God, uh, caring for creation. So intellect and will is certainly our property, and it's certainly what is uh, you know, um, uh, distinguishable for us, but I think that being in God's image and likeness is wider than just intellect and will. So if you think about Entangled Bank, and you think about the creation process and sharing in God's creative process, the whole earth does that, right? God, God set the whole motion of creation forward and then said, now go create. Uh, this is what we've been talking about, you know, in terms of Darwin's picture, you know, that creation is an ongoing process and that all of the entangled bank and all that that involves is really an ongoing kind of process in which creation itself cares for all of that. In many ways, it, it, uh, we also said, you know, that God doesn't intervene directly in human life, that God is letting human life move forward. And so in many ways, even God's providence is not a, a kind of uh, direct intervention. And then we, we couldn't even say that our sharing in divine providence is just simply our intervention. I think what we need to recognize is that creation itself in its free process is also part of that providence of God. In other words, God said, go create and know that I'm there with love, with sustenance, that I'm there ultimately supporting it. I'm calling it forward. I'm giving hope. And in fact, I'm telling you that it's all going to end up really fine because it ends up in me. Huh? But this is all a creation itself that's doing all of that. So somehow the creative process of God, the providential process of God certainly relates to us in a very important way because we have intellect and will, but I think it can be stretched out in a lot of other ways. So when we look at beauty, for instance, that's an image of God, right? And beauty is not just in us. Beauty is in everything. Huh? We look at things around us and we see beauty, and that becomes the image of God. You know, If we look at orderliness, huh? if we, we look at a lot of the things that creation has, even the sense of cooperation, uh, the sense of love, the, the sense of nurturing, I mean, all of those things are out in creation and not just us, all of those things become images, they become signs, they become a, a manifestation of God in the world today. So think about all the things that I said about God as Father, yeah? and that's all relational to start with, and it's all saying God is at the start of everything and God is at the end of everything, and all of that is related to our being in the image of God, huh? coming forth from God, going back to God. Creation itself is part of all of that. So if we really develop a creation spirituality, we're not seeing ourselves as separate in terms of all of that. Everything's going, right? It's also something I mentioned in an earlier lecture where I said we used to have the sense that we were aliens in a foreign land, you know, we're trying to get out of this, our exile, you know, up into heaven. And now I say, well, if there's anything about alien and, and exile, the whole earth may be experiencing that. And the one thing that I think we need to say for sure now is that we're not going up into God, leaving everything behind, but that we're bringing everything with us. <laughs> that, in fact, everything may be in an alien or a foreign land in that it is incomplete, it's imperfect, it's yearning for completion, but everything is moving forward into God. So we are not 
separated from the rest of creation, yearning to get to the Father, uh, who is who's beckoning us forward. All of creation is being drawn with God. So the entangled bank is a good image again, and our being in the image and likeness of God, I think, is, is really important in terms of extending it outward. And then the sense that God, who is the origin of everything, is the end of everything, also applies to all of creation. Everything gets taken up into God, right? And so that's why I said in the last lecture, dogs go to heaven. I'm really happy about that now. <laughs> but in fact, so do rocks and so do everything else, you know, whatever that looks like. Okay, so don't ask me how, don't ask me what it looks like, but the new creation is going to be the final effects of the old creation, right? And God is carrying us forward. So when you think about God as Father, I think those things would be there, and I think it's taking our high anthropology, but it's extending it out now to a high cosmology, right? In the image of God, and everything destined to move forward to God, and we're part of all of that entangled bank that's moving forward. If we think about um, uh, God doing all of that in Jesus and through Jesus, I think what it does is it again uh, reminds us of the principle of the incarnation, that the way in which God sustains and supports and encourages and moves along with us, you know, without, you know, pulling strings and making puppets, the way God does all of that is by taking on human existence in Jesus. So the mystery of the incarnation is really important. And Jesus takes on our human nature, has become part of us. And that's, again, our experience of God, who is now sharing human life with us. Just talk about imponderable things, that we believe that God is sharing our very human life in Jesus. And then remember, resurrection always, my favorite topic all the time, right? Can't get away from resurrection, is that that incarnate Jesus, now risen, is able to penetrate and permeate our own lives and to be present to us as Lord, so that his human life is not just that human life in the past, but it's a human life that now dwells in us and in fact gives us a share in his very life, so that we are Christ in the world today. We are the body of Christ. We live ultimately as the presence of Christ in the world today because in his risen reality, that human life that he lived is now given to me as my human life so I can live it. So you have all of that as as what's going on when you talk about God the Son or you talk about Jesus, incarnation, but then also resurrection. I find it interesting in the the document on Laudato Si, the, the Pope says that in about two sentences. He's got one little section that talks about the gaze of Jesus He talks about incarnation, and at the end he says, and of course there's also the empowering presence of Jesus in his resurrection. And I said, wow, you know, that should have been the whole big part, you know. (laughs) But in point of fact, he's writing for the whole world. He's not going to dwell on the things that, you know, are are motivation specifically for Christians, but he does talk about the gaze of Jesus as being that that central issue. And so all of that, again, you you see the dignity. So Larry again mentioned, you know, uh, Pico della Mirandola. I had to do one of my uh, doctoral um, exams on Pico della Mirandola, so I, I don't know all about him. I, I know him. I was just shaking my head all the way through Larry's sermon today. <laughs> A lot of stuff here we had in common. But anyway, um, you know, he talked about Pico della Mirandola talked about the human dignity huh, and the, the high anthropology because of the incarnation and because of what Christ did. So now I just say you want a creation spirituality, right? You want, you want a new paradigm, you want to move, you've got to go beyond that. So what do we say about incarnation? And I've said this already in, in the previous lectures, but now for a spirituality, bring it forward again. When we talk about it, we need to recognize that the incarnation has taken on human material, right? 
that in fact we're made of, of, of cells and, and we're made of minerals and chemicals and we're made of the whole rest of creation. That's us. Huh? Our DNA is in common with, you know, gorillas and apes. We got about 2% difference, you know. But then we also have water, we have chemicals, you know, oxygen is important, hydrogen is important. You know, all of those things we share with the rest of creation. So what does Christ do when Christ becomes incarnate? Christ really takes on all of creation. Christ doesn't just take on our human existence as if it's separated. We're part of the entangled bank, right? I always, uh, you know, in, in some ways it, it, it's horrifying, and in other ways it's really intriguing. I am loaded with so many bacteria and so many, you know, different kinds of, you know, lower plant life and fungi and who knows what else. That's me, you know. And as long as they're in the right place, I'm healthy. They get in the wrong place, I get sick. Huh? But, but I'm really that entangled bank. Can't get out of that entangled bank. I always say, you know, watching everything, the bugs are going to win. <laughs> they were here before us, they're going to be here after us, you know. But that, that's us. Huh? So when you think about incarnation, that's what Christ took on. Huh? Christ took on all of that. And so that's God, intimate to our lives in incarnation. And then what I like to think of, which is also, again, part of a spirituality, when Christ rises from the dead, Christ becomes the new creation that we're all hoping to be, right? So Christ not only takes on kind of human reality, you know, that we're all hoping to be. So he's in that final life that we're yearning for. He's starting to share it with us, but he's calling us forward because we're not there yet. Huh? So we're, we're already in the risen life of Christ, but we're not quite there yet. You know, already, but not yet. Huh? It's starting, but it's not finished. Well, we can say all of that for creation itself. The new creation has already begun. Huh? And where God is calling us forward has already started in Christ. But Christ is not just the new human being. Picture Christ as, you know, transformed minerals and chemicals. And the whole world is already being transformed in Christ. The Old Testament already had a little glimpse of it, although they had no, no idea about Darwin and Tangle Bank or anything else. But we have some hymns, like Colossians, that talk about the cosmic Christ. Huh? Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Huh? It says everything adheres in Christ. Huh? Christ is the focal point of unity. Christ holds everything together. Christ is the principle of our unity. And so all of that, in terms of incarnation and resurrection, is really a cosmic Christ that really extends things outward. So we don't want to diminish our particular role. We don't want to diminish anthropology. But what we have to do is get it out to cosmology. And we're all part of that. And that's what incarnation and um, um, resurrection is telling us. So what it moves us away from, again, things I talked about before, uh, when we think about incarnation and all of that, is not to be anthropocentric. Huh? You want to have, you know, an anthropology, human reality, but anthropocentrism is centering too much on the human being as if we're different from the rest of creation, as if we're separate from the rest of creation. We're not. Huh? We're all part of that one big creation, so anthropocentrism gets to be our problem. Huh? And the Pope mentions that very often, you know, throughout his, uh, his encyclical. And so incarnation, I think, is, is trying to warn us about not being too anthropocentric. Certainly the ways, at least, in which we need to interpret it, 
uh, which is different from the way we would have interpreted in the past. So we have great dignity, but there's also dignity in creation. And it's the respect for creation. And in fact, that's where the the Pope talks very often uh, with consumer mentality, you know, or with a throwaway culture. We tend to think too much that all the rest of creation is just for us, right? So I take something and I throw it away. I use something and then I use something else. So it's a consumer kind of mentality and it's all anthropocentric and it doesn't respect the dignity of creation in its own regard. So Pope is balanced, you know, so is theology. It doesn't say, so now we just let the fingernails grow forever or, you know, never get a haircut or let nature run wild. I mean, that, that's an exaggeration in the other direction, right? So we need to make decisions and work in it. But what we don't want to do is to think that all the rest of creation is simply at our beck and call or just for us, right? Creation has its own dignity. Creation is moving forward. Creation is reflecting God. And creation, in fact, is going to be absorbed into God again at the end. And we're going to be part of it. So we need to have a healthy kind of stewardship, which is part of our role. We've come to consciousness and awareness. So we need to have stewardship to think about all of this. And we need to help in all of it. But we need to do it with a sense that creation has its own dignity, that creation exists in its own right. Creation is not just simply for us. So I think thinking about Jesus and his involvement with creation and then thinking about cosmic Christ can kind of push us in that direction and maybe help develop a creation spirituality that is really a new paradigm that we haven't thought about too much before. And then, of course, when we say, well, now, how, how does all of that work out finally, you know, in terms of the Holy Spirit? I think the Holy Spirit kind of brings us to the sense that all of these things that we talked about really come with a very intimate kind of reality, right? God within us, not just God above us, beyond us, calling us forward. It's not even just God with us in Jesus, you know, and, and showing us what it's all about. But the Spirit really gives us that sense of the interiority of God, huh? the withinness of God, who is so close to us that he's no farther than we are from ourselves, huh? that the Spirit ultimately permeates everything. So you remember in my earlier lectures I said, we don't even think about the Holy Spirit as a separate person, because that already puts him kind of outside of us. So we think it about we think about him as water, which is poured into us and flows in every direction. You know, I said like leaky roofs. You know, we think about uh, breath, huh? the breath of life, which is within us and permeates us and moves us. Uh, we think about fire, you know, which illuminates or warms. Huh? But it's always that sense of interiority, and it's the spirit that's kind of capturing how close God is within us, as well as God accompanying us or God beckoning us forward or God outside of us. So when we think about the Spirit, we have all that sense of interiority. Now, we would, of course, in the past, have always dwelt upon that, especially in terms of human beings, right? And I I would dare say, you know, until very recently, we didn't even have a theology of the Holy Spirit. We had Holy Ghost, and, uh, uh, and Holy Spirit was not really thought about too terribly much, but we've come to kind of an era of the Holy Spirit, you know, that the Pentecostal movement and all of those things were kind of the discovery of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and that theology that developed. But then as it developed, it was always the Holy Spirit, you know, infusing me with, uh, with knowledge and, uh, and wisdom and the Holy Spirit giving me courage. 
What we need to do now is to have all those images of fire, light, water, all those other things, and see the Holy Spirit as ultimately permeating all of creation. Right? So the Spirit is in everything. I mentioned in one of my earlier lectures, I never knew what to do with the Holy Spirit, right? Because I had God taking care of the Old Testament and Jesus taking care of the New Testament. Wasn't sure what to do with the Holy Spirit, right? He's off on the side for extra things. Huh? Now what we find out is the Holy Spirit is in everything that we wouldn't exist. We, we wouldn't even be a smidgen of dust if the Holy Spirit were not penetrating us, huh? permeating us. So the Spirit is in everything. But, of course, we've thought about that even as we've developed a new theology. We think about it mostly in terms of human beings, right? And now what we need to do is to recognize that that spirit is permeating everything. I think you have the same prayer that, that we use in my Catholic tradition. You know, it says, you know, send forth your Holy Spirit and renew the face of the earth, right? So you send forth the spirit, you're renewing all of creation. The spirit permeates all of that. So one of the other things that I think is important in terms of creation spirituality, that again is something that we need to keep developing, is what I said before, watch out for what we call dualism. Huh? Dualism is always, you know, matter is bad, spirit is good, you know, or, you know, there are higher orders of reality and lower orders of reality and the lower orders of reality are not really important. Or we would have uh, said, you know, we, we're trying to save our souls and forget about the body, you know, or we're going to get to heaven someday and who cares about the earth, you know. So in other words, we get into dualistic kinds of patterns. And when we recognize that the spirit is permeating everything, then we're back again to Darwin's entangled bank. We're back again to that sense of a, a holistic view of all of creation and the spirit ultimately transforming everything. So it's still in the process, right? So all kinds of problems. Uh, we still have, you know, animals eat animals, you know, leaves die, we die. You know, there's all of that stuff that's there, but God is bringing us forward, huh? That God is ultimately permeating all of that, and all of this has a positive as well as a negative side, and God accompanies us. God strengthens us. So I use the image of the, uh, the spare pelican, you know, got thrown out of the nest. God cares about the spare pelican, okay? God doesn't intervene, there's still spare pelicans, huh? but God cares about them and God brings them forward. So God accompanies us in Christ and God permeates us with the gift of the Spirit who transforms us into that life of God and all of that part of creation. So in the end, we end up also where, where Larry ended up. He says, I'm hopeful. Right? So it seems like a mess, and it is a mess. But, you know, all of that, nevertheless, I think, can still develop a spirituality that is hopeful. And the Pope, in fact, in the encyclical, you know, um, ends by saying, um, we want to talk about joy and we want to talk about peace, right? That in the end, ultimately, God permeates all of this and gives us a sense of joy because life is ultimately optimistic. And even the entangled bank is creation moving forward, even when in the midst of all of that, this pain, this suffering, the other things, it's all moving forward. It's all making sense in terms of God carrying us forward, and that, in fact, on God's side, it's nothing but positive activity. So there's a joy. Peace is ultimately, I think, the sense that all the relationships are right. Huh? And if we try to recognize what God is doing through Jesus by the power of the Spirit, it should keep us at peace because it's keeping us in the right relationships. Right? And now it's keeping us in relationships that necessarily, that, you know, of necessity now, and, and very likely are going to involve also suffering, pain, all kinds of stress. Huh? It's all creation, trying to figure things out yet. 
It's ourselves trying to figure things out yet, right? But nevertheless, peace because the relationships are right, huh? and because God ultimately is there to keep establishing the, the right relationships. Huh? So joy and peace is, is where you want to end on all of this stuff, and not just simply pessimism. And certainly we don't want to end up with what people did with Darwin. Huh? Many people just took Darwin and said, so everything is just chaos, everything is just random selection, and everything is going nowhere. Right? What, what our religious perspective is telling us is that it is all going somewhere, right? And that somewhere is God that underpins everything with everything that I just talked about. Huh? God, through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, with all of these different realities that help us, I think, to finally get to a sense of a really uh, creation spirituality that I think is, uh, is really important for our own day and age. So I, I think I'm going to stop at that. Um, you know, I, I hope that the things that I said in the last weeks kind of feed into what I've said today and that this kind of gathers things together. But to show you that really the possibilities for a new paradigm here, that's really a new way of thinking of how much we're involved with creation itself. And then let's just, we've got lots of time, let's get some questions and observations. Yeah. So you may have talked about this when you talked about so many things I venture to ask anyway. Um, how would you define spirituality? I'm having, I understand all that you said and all these, like, I don't understand, but I'm growing with what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But there's such uh, confusion over the word spirituality in our world today. Yeah, how would I understand spirituality? Well, I, I tried in the beginning to define spirituality as opening ourselves to the spirit, right? So with mind, with heart, with choices, with decisions. So spirituality has a lot of different aspects to it. In fact, if you look in the, uh, in the encyclical, the Pope says, you know, there's kind of an intellectual side, and what we need to do is to kind of educate, right? So get insight, you know, but then recognize that the insight has to also get to the heart, Huh? So we open our hearts to all of that. Sometimes that spirituality then entails reflection. It entails meditation. It entails prayer, uh, which is a way of kind of stepping aside. But I think spirituality is not just prayer. It's not just meditation. It's not just reflection. It's ultimately opening ourselves to the work of the Spirit in every area of our life. Huh? So reflection helps us to kind of get to all of that and to, to make it more explicit. But I think it's also in other areas. So then what happens, uh, you know, choices and decisions uh, is the recognition of God's presence, is the recognition of responding to God's presence, or as I say again, spirituality is a spirit, it's opening ourselves to the spirit. So the, the Pope is interesting in the section, he's got a whole section on uh, ecological education and spirituality, and uh, one of the things he does is he says that even enters into things like politics and uh, and economics, and political institutions. In other words, if you develop a spirituality, spirituality, I think, begins also to, to show in practice, right? And so uh, you're developing the virtues. Huh? So we would talk about spirituality as having virtues. Well, what that is is trying to develop habits that kind of move us towards beauty and towards goodness. It's rooting out sin, right? And so that's all in terms of action, you know, and what goes on. And so, um, uh, so the Pope talks about all of that as involved, first of all, with, with our own individual lives. But he says, you know, one of the things that we, we want to get away from is individualism. 
which is, which is our big problem. Huh? So we need to see kind of the community aspects. And in fact, when we think about community aspects, to think about the whole creation as part of our community. So it's trying to live with those, those relationships. And, uh, and then in that regard, we have to bring in things like politics. Huh? We have to bring in things like economics, because all of those are the ways in which we are involved, ultimately, in the entangled bank and in trying to care for creation and what goes on. So, you know, when I talk about consumerism or I talk about dualism, those things have political implications, you know. And, um, and so we have to begin to make wise decisions. Now, all of those things are going to be trial and error. They're going to be compromised. One of the interesting things the Pope says is, I want to call your attention to this. This is a real crisis. This is an emergency. But I don't have the answers. Politicians are going to have to figure out how to do that. Right. And uh, economists are going to have to figure out how to do that. And then because we're in an ongoing reality, what we need to do also is to recognize that we're going to have to do that by compromise. Right. Because nobody knows the exact solutions to things, but we have to compromise. But we have to compromise on the basis of our vision of how much we are involved in the stewardship of creation and how much we have to respect creation. So, you know, what he's pointing out all the time is if you have consumerism or the biggest argument is money, you know, you're not going to be developing a creation spirituality. So, you know, what you see going on very often is, is the big argument, who's going to pay for it? You know, well, what we need to recognize is that everybody better start paying for it and that you can shuffle the, the paying for it off to somebody else. Now, what are you going to pay for? How are you going to pay for it? We may have to compromise. But as we keep going along, we're going to find out where is it doing damage and where is it not. So, you know, when we started to do some of our compromises in the economic and the political area, we said, well, let's trade off carbon points. You know, now we're beginning to recognize maybe trading off carbon points isn't enough and that maybe, in fact, we have to get rid of fossil fuels. Well, who's going to pay for that? Well, maybe everybody needs to, you see, but when the arguments that keep coming forward all the time, and this is where your politics is and, and your, you know, your international relations and everything, you know, the industry doesn't want to let go. And maybe we have to change all of that. These are major, major shifts. And this is where I talk about a conversion kind of mentality. You know, it's really another way of operating. But I think all of that can be included in spirituality. You know, we think of spirituality, I just get together and I go pray to God, you know, in my house, you know, whereas spirituality is really what I'm doing in the world, the virtues I'm developing, and some of the virtues are civic virtues, right? I think even Calvin knew that stuff, right? So now we're just trying to enlarge and extend civic virtue and extend, you know, the community areas of virtue that begin to uh, move us outward to the ways in which we're involved with creation, which is part of the new paradigm. And that's all, you know, baby steps and uh, trial and error and all kinds of things. And we don't, we don't know. But we do know that we're at, you know, emergency situations and that, you know, not worrying just about exactly where the economy is going to go with all of this, but, you know, how we're going to save creation is really a big thing. The image that runs in my mind all the time, right, whether you like Al Gore or not, he had this, um, you know, the, the video that he put out. And he showed one image that I thought was really very telling. He said, we have all these arguments about who's going to pay for it. So he had all the dollar signs on one side of a, of a big scale, you know, kind of weighing, the, weighing in the balance. Put dollar signs on one side, and he put the earth on the other side. And then he just looked and smiled. 
I mean, does he have to say anything? Well, you've got all the money here, and you've got the world over here, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I think the message speaks for itself about what has to be the center of concern and where ultimately we're involved with the whole rest of creation and how creation itself has to be respected. So, uh, so it's that kind of thing. I think all of that's part of spirituality. The Pope has all of that in a section on education and spirituality. He's talking about political decisions and economic, but he's not giving you the political decisions because I don't think religious people have an inside track on that. We can't go and meditate and then say, I just figured out how to solve the environmental problems. You know, we don't. But, but we know what has to be the, the central issue that we're trying to solve, and sometimes we get off the central issue. You know, we're worried about saving an industry, you know, whereas what we need to do is to worry about saving the earth, you know, which is a different thing. So, you know, if we know what we're, we're headed towards, then we know what the values are and the things that we want to, uh, to promote. So I think that's part of spirituality, you know. So I hope that helps a little bit. Yeah. Could you speak to um, Layman's approach to understanding the Bible? Meaning, I grew up uh, being taught that the Bible was the holy book, the inspired word of God. Yeah, yeah. Now I understand that the book was uh, a collection of oral history. It was made by, it was uh, recorded by humans. It was canonized by humans. Uh, it has inspiration, but I kind of took the inspired word of God out of my thinking. But for those of us who do not have the uh, tutorial of uh, foreign languages and basic history, mm -hmm. sure. uh, when we decide in the creation stories, is this historic? Is this uh, a fable of the people of that age? But does it have a truth that we can, mm -hmm. and you mentioned it as a truth. Could you kind of speak to those concerns? Yeah, well, of course, that you know gets into another whole, another whole topic, but... Um, and maybe I'll maybe it's time for another whole series on that stuff. <laughs> but uh, but you know I, I I make a number of distinctions. I think I call the Bible the inspired word of God. I think I find truth in the Bible. I think the Bible is still a foundational text for all of us. But I think that you know similar to what we've been talking about here when you talk about the anthrop anthropology, the Bible is God's word in human words. And so in the same way that, you know, we know God and we, we come to God through our human reality, nobody sees God directly. Nobody, you know, we're even trying to develop a whole sense that God doesn't kind of intervene someplace. You know, we kind of go along and then God says, stop, I'm going to come down and do some stuff myself. We say, no, that doesn't make any sense anymore, especially with our scientific view and all of that. So I think it's the same way with the Bible. You don't, you don't have people saying, okay, I've got the pen, now stop talking, God. You know, I think it's always God working in and through our human reality. So how do we know there's a God? Well, we know there's a God from all of the, the basic things inside of us that keep arising and pointing to that reality. So beauty and truth and all of those things which are very human have an infinite side to them and point us to God. In the same way, I think the Bible has had a special revered place for all of us because while it's a human work, it's also a way in which God has come through to us. So it's God's word always in human words, which I think is important. And so when we talk about myth and we talk about all of those things, so, so the human attempts to try to talk about God, right? And it's the only way we can do that. And especially in some kinds of topics where 
it, it's got to be in myth and symbol because it's beyond our ability. You know, creation, you know, where everything is headed in terms of heaven. We've got to use symbols. But I think our, our faith and our belief is saying all of those things are giving us a truth about God. So in that way, they're the inspired word of God. So inspired word of God is not God dictating. Inspired word is simply our claim that all of this is a special revered place where we have found God speaking to us, huh? but always in and through human beings. So I don't know if that helps a little bit, but uh, a little bit. but I you know and, and truth works on different levels. So our truth about God is always. A, a derivative truth. We don't we don't know God directly, and in fact, when I talked about Trinity here, I said I can't talk about God's inner life. What well, what do I know about God's inner life? So the truth that we have is always somehow coming through our human ability and our our uh, you know what we can do to kind of find uh, God in and through our human life. So it's always going to be indirect, and it's always going to be inadequate, right? So the, I think the Bible shares in all of that. Yeah. Was Darwin an atheist? Darwin was not an atheist, but uh, Darwin struggled with all of this because Darwin also comes out of a, a, a time, you know, where the Bible, you know, was the revered word of God, and you know, and, and if it says seven days of creation, there were seven days. So I think he he had a lot of questions, um, and I think he ended up as kind of an agnostic. Um, but but that's because he couldn't figure out how to reconcile these things, and it took us a long time to think about it, and, and we keep working on it, but I don't think Darwin was necessarily a fundamentalist, but... Uh, no, I'm saying he wasn't a fundamentalist, no. because he wouldn't have wanted to take that Right, early. right. Um, and I, I think he probably wrestled with it, but I'm not sure that he had all the tools to figure this out yet, you know, and so it, it left him as kind of questioning, you know, as, as time went on. I'm just thinking about your words of coming to an understanding of God through truth and beauty, then if you flip that, is, is hate and evil and death, is that coming to an understanding, is there a Satan? Well, I, I wouldn't equate Satan with God. Um, I think Satan is our way of handling it with images of a God who really um, is above and beyond all of that. So um, one reason why we come to Satan is because we want to capture the reality of evil but keep it one step removed from God. So, so we have a Satan who takes care of all of that. So God does, you know, Satan does God's dirty work in the book of Job, you know, stuff like that to kind of keep God one step removed. Um, uh, so I, I, think, uh, I think one aspect of your question is that, yeah, our, our groping with violence and evil and all of that is what gives us our concept of Satan. Uh, but in similar way, Satan is not a literal reality. It's our way of dealing with suffering and violence and uh, and the reality of evil. So we do it in terms of a Satan. But I, you know, you've got all different kinds of images of Satan, and that's not any clearer than our images of God. But I think also that Satan is always one step removed because I think our final experience, certainly as Christians, but I think even in other ways, is that while there's evil and there's violence, it's not ultimate. In other words, we can see it as far as part of the free process of creation. Uh, we can see it as the effects of, of our sinfulness. We can see it as, you know, part of the ongoing process. But in the end, uh, God is love. Uh, I think there is hope. 
I think this forgiveness and all of that is part of is part of our experience. So I don't I don't think that the experience of evil and violence uh, triggers my experience of God. I think it uh, because I think ultimately what arises out of us is always a, an infinite sense of hope. I think I talked about that you know last time I said even when people are atheists they have hope. And I said there's honor among thieves. You know, in other words, we always have a sense of positive value somehow, and that is giving us our sense of what God is all about. Um, that that ultimately there's something that gives order, that gives value, that gives love, that gives fidelity. That somehow that keeps arising out of our basic instinct, notwithstanding violence and all the other things. So even murderers have a sense of fidelity and uh, love and you know and loyalty. Um, uh, even when things look like they're negative, there's a positive that's coming out of all of that. And that's giving us our image of God. Does that help a little bit? So I, I'm working differently when I experience violence and evil than when I'm experiencing love and hope. Because I think in our own sense of values, one overrides the other. Yeah. Well, see, when you say, I hope so, that's already a pretty good indication that it does. You know, that keeps coming all the time. And we're living out of that sense of hope. Yeah. You know, that he was suffering. Sure. And so he, I mean, he showed us how he yeah. overcame that yeah. violence. Well, and that that's thats why I, I, I spent that time when we talked about incarnation, we talked about Jesus. Part of it is that God who took on our human existence took on our suffering. So it doesn't explain suffering. It still leaves that big mystery, you know. But what it says is that God, God's not the one inflicting suffering on us. God knows our suffering, identifies with us in our suffering, and in fact accompanies us in our suffering and wants to bring us beyond that suffering. So that the new creation that we're headed towards. So I think the death of Jesus on the cross is a vivid expression of all of that. So what you said, I disagree with. <laughs> Yeah, how does it relate to other religions? That's another long topic. Um, I mean, one way to think about it is to think about the spirit permeating everything, right? So we have no monopoly on the spirit, and that that spirit that is being manifest in its intensity in Jesus for us can be manifested in another way in the world, but it's still God and the spirit, and that, in fact, other religions and others have that sense of, uh, of spirit, Sometimes spirit makes sense even in other religions when they have nothing to do with Jesus, you know. So there's more common ground in terms of that. And I think that, at, I would say at least implicitly, the spirit is moving in lots of different ways when, when people just have uh, uh, some sense of hope or they have some sense of transcendent reality. I think even atheists have some sense that there's something more going on. When they talk about values and they talk about human dignity, what roots that? You know, I think implicitly in some way that's that's a movement towards some kind of transcendent reality. So I, I think a lot of the stuff I'm talking about can be shared, you know, with other people, but it's another whole it's another whole topic of trying to figure out how to accommodate that, you know, and, and how to make sense out of it. And it takes a lot of dialogue and uh, and stuff like that. 
and it also takes humility on our part. You know, that we've we've got our answer to things, but it's not everybody's answer. So, dialogue, you know, in terms of all of that. So going back to the creation story, uh, the Garden of Eden or before the Garden of Eden, um, and maybe this is making God too human-like, but as we look and learn how vast the universe is, I mean, much more yeah. vast than we could even imagine or we can even imagine, can you think of God as being alone in the universe and saying, gee, I'd like to have it's lonely here. And so as part of my, the goal of my creation is to, is to have creation evolve so that my spirit can be in this physical universe. Yeah. And while a dog may not be aware of God or be able to talk to God, but as man evolves, man is able to have a spirit of God and begin to understand that there's more to this than just what's around us. Mm-hmm. And so if you think of being done in the image of God, a reflection of God, this gives God, are we God's companions, <coughs> like two mirrors looking at one another? And is that one way to think about that, that part of the goal of creation is to create, I mean, think of the universe as much bigger than just the earth in this tiny place. Um, God's ability to have companionship and reflection back and yeah. forth, his spirit evolving in these physical sure. places. I mean, Jesus and his message being one of saying, here are kind of the rules of how the best of creation and spirit of God can be unified. Yeah. When we go, when we stray from that, we end up with a lack of good reflection of, of mm-hmm. God's spirit. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. You know, what, what you hear in theology a lot, I think, is that love is always outward going, and that if God is love itself, you know, that is shown by God's relationship to Jesus and the sharing of the spirit, you know, if God is love itself, then love is always creative in some way. And so, you know, creation itself is the expression of God's love and the reflection of God's love. I, I mentioned uh, in one of the earlier talks that it's quite possible that creation is eternally created. In other words, God sustains and supports an eternal creation because that eternal love was there eternally, you know, and always wanted to be expressive of something and created us, you know, that kind of feeds back the love of God. Uh, so we just don't know. But in either case, it's contingent. So the earth is not God, and the earth is not ultimately self-sustaining. So it's always dependent on a God who is a God of love. But, you know, for how old the earth is, and certainly when, when we see billions of everything, you know, and, and multiple universes, and I mean, we just don't know, you know. But I think the, the pattern is that God's love is, is outward-moving and is creative, and, and that's why the earth is here. We're created out of love. And then Christ kind of shows us the epitome of that, you know, from our Christian perspective. When are you coming back? <laughs> <laughs> you have to talk, to the, talk to the organizer. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. <laughs> Yeah, why don't I end with the prayer that uh, the Pope wrote in the back. It uh, addresses your question very well. Um, I read the one prayer that was the Christian prayer for unity. Here's a prayer for the earth that's for um, at least uh, people who believe in God, you know, but not necessarily Christian. All-powerful God, you are present in the whole universe and in the smallest of your creatures.
You embrace with your tenderness all that exists. Pour out upon us the power of your love that we may protect life and beauty. Fill us with peace that we may live as brothers and sisters, harming no one. O God of the poor, help us to rescue the abandoned and forgotten of this earth, so precious in your eyes. Bring healing to our lives that we may protect the world and not prey on it, that we may sow beauty, not pollution and destruction. Touch the hearts of those who look only for gain at the expense of the poor and the earth. Teach us to discover the worth of each thing, to be filled with awe and contemplation, to recognize that we are profoundly united with every creature as we journey towards your infinite light. We thank you for being with us each day. Encourage us, we pray, in our struggle for justice, love, and peace. Amen.